is to praise him. And uh, I want to just praise the Lord as well for the gifted people that we have here. Of course, uh, you know, with our worship team doing an incredible job this morning. And uh, with those who worked diligently as well on that big object back there that you see, which you probably have not seen before. Uh, Maybe your first time to see our sound booth uh, being built there. And so uh, Jared and Jared (laughs) and Dennis... I worked hard on that this week. Uh, They began on Monday and worked diligently up until yesterday. And so they still have some work to be done, but outstanding job. And I just want to commend you guys on your diligence in that and using the giftings that God has given you as well. And so I want to recognize that and just praise the Lord for His goodness um, when the body of Christ uses their giftings as we ought to do, right? And so um, let's praise the Lord for that, um, and let's praise the Lord and have hearts filled with praise to the Lord as we turn to Him now in prayer as well. So let's pray together. God, we come before you, the Lord, over all things. You are over all, and you reign supreme. We come rejoicing, O Lord, in you. We come praising you. We come glorying in you. We come recognizing that through Christ and in Christ, he is our salvation. And we rejoice. We rejoice, Lord, in in the blessing and the ways you have blessed our body with uh, so many here, uh, with those leading worship this morning, uh, those who have worked diligently this week to uh, work on this sound booth for your glory, that this would uh, serve this body and those who may come and uh, be with us in the future. And we just uh, thank you, Father, for your goodness and how beautiful it is even to see uh, the, the giftings uh, which you have equipped um, those in our body with to, to see them being used and used for your kingdom. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, for these things. We thank you that you are the God who is over all things that you have made us. And we are to come this morning even that you would be our vision. Help us, Lord, that you would be our vision, that we even now would recognize that we may come very intimately before you as you are our Father in heaven, but then also recognizing, hallowed be your name, that we are to come in awe and wonder before you as well. And so may you help us, Lord. May you lead us today, this morning. May you... Help us to pant for you. May you help us to be honest before you. Letting you examine our hearts, our minds, our lives. May you be with us at Haven. May we be a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you be with any lost who may be here or listening or watching. May you work and even show them their great and the depth of need they have for Christ. 
that all their sins may be forgiven, even this day, through him and his work, through our Savior's work on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, as we are coming in the midst of this continued pandemic, may you help and even soon and very soon bring an end to this virus. We long for things to return to normal. But Father, we pray as we wait that we would not for one moment cease proclaiming Christ, living for Christ, and making disciples of Christ. Help us, Lord, to see there is no pause button on following you. So help us, Father, now as we turn to your word. May you open our hearts, our minds, and help us to receive it in full. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. We will be continuing in our series with John chapter 7. We'll be in verses 37 through 52. Now, over these last few weeks, we have been essentially walking through... Uh, the various, uh, or the week of the Feast of Booths. So, the Feast of Booths, it was a feast appointed by God, commemorating the working of God when God led his people through the wilderness and they went about staying in booths or tabernacles. So, you'll hear that too, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they did that as they went along the way. And so, during this celebration, each day they would live in a booth made of you know, light branches and, and they would worship God and give glory to God for the things he had done. And so it is within that picture that we come to our passage this morning and to the last day of this feast that we have been seeing, even though we're not really going to stop being within this feast in the coming chapters as well. I'll begin, though, here in verse 30, 37, and may God bless the reading of his inerrant word. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, 
Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now here, with these opening verses, immediately we are needing some clarification. So seemingly we saw rather straightforwardly here in verse 1, that this was the last day of the feast. However, there is you know, some question here about you know, which last day it means here. You know, it may well have been referring to like the last day of the feast proper, or it may have been referring to the eighth day. So, which, which was it? Well, let's think through it a bit here. So, uh, this will matter in a moment as we get into what Jesus is saying. Well, the eighth day was a bit different than the last official day of the feast. The eighth day, it was a solemn assembly, a holy convocation, as we see. And I'm not going to read these here, but in Leviticus 23, in Numbers 29, it talks about the eighth day there. So no work was to be done, and all variety of offerings were to be made. And so it was, indeed, it was a great day, as this verse says here, which may give us then slightly more reason to believe that this was indeed the eighth day here that is being talked about, which is also what they generally had come to see as the last day at this time in Jesus' day. So it being the eighth day makes... What Jesus says here, all the more incredible, all the more weighty, and all the more wonderful. So you see, what led up to this day and to Jesus' statement here in verses 37 and 38 was a water ritual that was conducted every day of the feast. And so this is how it would go. Day by day, each day of the feast, a priest would come and they would draw water from the pool of Shalom. And in a procession, they would, uh, led by the high priest, it was brought to the temple as, you know, trumpets were being blasted as well. And the temple choir, they joyously sing the Hillel or Psalms uh, 113 through 118. And then this water that was drawn, they'll pour it in to uh, this little bowl before God at the altar. And so they did all this because they desired God to send rain on the land and to bless it. Now, none of this, you won't find it in your Bible. It was something that was prescri- wasn't prescribed directly in Scripture. It was a rite that began some 100 years before Jesus came. And so it became a natural part of this feast by Jesus' day. So, 
It is in the midst of all this, all of this imagery, they get it, they're seeing it, they've seen it the whole week. You haven't been there and sitting there or seeing all these things, but they have. And then Jesus comes and says these things and come, verses 37 through 39. And so we see Jesus calling any and all to come to him that they may have hearts that overflow. So it's the eighth day. They're packing up their booze. And while the feast is, has ended and the water rite has also ended, Jesus then stands up before all and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. All that's ended, but I continue. So no longer is Jesus telling a woman privately that he gives living water. He is heralding, though you see this feast and these waters end, here I am who has come to fulfill this feast and to give you water that never ends. So everyone and anyone, come and drink. And you can imagine everyone having seen all these things all week long, and then he comes and stands and proclaims this very publicly. They get exactly what he's saying. Probably with a bit of a gasp behind it. So if you want, then, taking Jesus' words and setting them before us, if you want your thirst to be satisfied, you want life No other one will do. Nothing else will suffice. You must go to the source of this living water. And this water wasn't and isn't water that comes from you. It comes from Jesus. And here and right there... In the midst of that is where we find an answer to thousands of questions, thousands of longings, thousands of wanderings we may go and directions and paths we may take. They are answered, and the answer is found here with Jesus. Now you may say, no, I, don't, I don't have those, I'm not wandering, I, I'm set where I am. Yet, this is where you and me, you and I have a thirst that is not so easily quenched by the mirage of satisfaction set before us by the world. And if you're honest, you know that too. You know that what the world is offering you is not really satisfying your soul. You have a thirst there in you. Desires, longings, yearnings for meaning in life that this world has not been able to give because you can't be given something from the world that it doesn't have to give. The quenching of this thirst is not from below, but it comes from Him who is from above. 
And even, even now in the midst of our you know, secular age that we're living in, and increasingly so, people know that there is something missing. There's a, there's a thirst there that, that needs to be quenched. It's this, this kind of, I don't want to say hole in your heart kind of thing, but there's this emptiness that is there. And recently I you know, read an opinion piece from The Guardian that kind of asked these kind of questions and set these questions sarcastically to kind of bring forth something new that companies are doing. And so the, the author wrote this, Do you feel lost? Like your, like your life has been drained of meaning and purpose? During your workday, do you wander from task to task in a daze, just waiting to be released from this painful monotony? Yeah, well, guess what? Your boss noticed, and now she's hired a spiritual consultant to help ease all these things. And that's right. Now there are companies that are actually hiring spiritual consultants because of this kind of you know, thirst that people have that they don't know what to do with. So now, to fill something of this thirst, companies are beginning to hire these spiritual consultants to meet what is lacking in what people are getting from their work, getting from the world, and maybe not getting from the church either. And so in the midst of that, in the midst of this longing, and even the world, you see this thirst that they cannot deny. Would the church then, in light of such a thirst, cease being what it's called to be? Would it then cease preaching the only hope of the nations? The only hope in the midst of controversy, division, sin, elections, history's progression... Jesus Christ, would we cease preaching the only hope of the nations? Would people, would the church cease pointing people to the source of true, lasting, everlasting satisfaction? And the answers cannot be found in the world because the world was made for God and by God and for Christ and through Christ, for Christ. It won't find it anywhere else. That means we have a task that we are to take up and preach His name to one and all. So may we not be those who would cease doing just that. That yearning you have, that longing, it can't be met in food or entertainment or books or education or sex or anything but Christ. And so Jesus calls you and anyone and everyone who thirsts, come to me and drink, he says. And so, there is where life is found. And perhaps you are lost this morning. Perhaps you know that you have this thirst and you have no idea what to do? You found that the world isn't sufficient. It doesn't give what it promises it gives. 
And that's true time after time. Even as sin, you enjoy it, but then it comes back at you. And you find that the other end of it is a sword. Well, the answer is Christ. You need Jesus. He is the one that you're thirsting for. He is the one that you were made for. And it's through him and in him and by faith in him that you will be given life evermore. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. That is not a promise the world can give. Or you will have outside of clinging to the source of Jesus Christ. So flowing from Christ come these hearts that overflow, hearts from which flow rivers of living water then. And so this this quenching of your thirst and the overflowing of your heart, it comes in and through Christ with rivers of living water that are produced by who? Produced by the Spirit of God. And so we see this in verse 39. Here, now this he said about the Spirit, these rivers of living water. So Christ is the source. From the Spirit flow rivers of living water. So where Christ was there right then, very really dwelling among them, following His being glorified and following Pentecost and Acts, the Spirit comes and He dwells not among them, but in them. And so that even now, in you and us, He is in you if you know Christ Jesus. Such that fruit of the Spirit we just read about, that's where it comes from. You're clinging to the source of Jesus Christ, and from clinging to Him, flow these fruits from the Spirit of God. You can ask a question alongside that then. If it's not there, who are you clinging to? Something else has become your source. Your portion, perhaps. And so Jesus' words here about the Spirit of God are a culmination of all kinds of, a slew of various Old Testament passages, which I'm not going to read them all right here, because we would be here for a little bit longer. And so let me just give two of these. So one is Isaiah 58, 11. It says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be a, like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So drawing from that verse along with Isaiah 55, 1, which says, it will sound very familiar, Come everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so, with that and some passages from Ezekiel and Joel as well, come these words from Jesus. And so, with Christ as our source and with God's Spirit dwelling on us, 
we are then called not to keep these waters to ourselves and within these walls, but we are to let the rivers flow out from us. So flowing from Christ, rivers of spirit-produced fruit in a spirit-empowered life, they are to abound as we are clinging to the source. Not to go too far forward, but I'm thinking John 15 as well. I'm the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. So if you know Christ, His Spirit is in you, such that this church, we and all believers, are to be what this passage says. Are to be fountains directing all and any and everyone to the source, Jesus Christ. That's what the fountain will look like. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, and all arrows pointing to Christ. Which we will see, that's exactly what the Spirit of God does later in the Gospel of John as well. So we are to go out then as Spirit-filled believers... They'll go about living, preaching, and bearing all varieties of fruit, all to the praise and the adoration of our great God by the power of the Spirit of God. And if you're, you're hearing all this, we need God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, throughout we see every aspect of the Trinity in the believer's life, in our life. We need God. So don't hide these rivers under a bushel as we so often tend to do as the church. Do not keep them to yourselves, but stand up like Jesus and direct others to its source. And my oh my, how much they need that source. Just as much as you do. So as we, we look on here with verses 40 through 44, we have kind of a, a transition that happens. So these wonderful words that we just heard, this incredible gasp from everybody. And now everyone is trying to figure out how to think about what Jesus just said. So in following Jesus' incredible proclamation, the people, they wonder about his words And here, what we find is we don't see hearts united in line before Jesus to come and drink of this drink. But what we find is we see, what we find and see are hearts divided. And as a matter of fact, if you know the scriptures, this is exactly what Jesus does. He divides. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Which is exactly what thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians all over the world are experiencing right now. Become a 
believer in Christ in a, with a Muslim or Hindu family, and now your family kicks you out, and they want to take your life. So he divides. And in our consumer culture, where we have grown up being shaped by appeals to what pleases us, this doesn't settle very well. <laughs> right? Like, I didn't come to Jesus because, you know, this, I thought he was going to make everything just, you know, nice and cozy. I thought it was, you know, take up my pillow and follow him, not take up my cross and follow him. I thought there was a little bit more of what the prosperity gospel perhaps is preaching and teaching than what Jesus is actually saying. So, it doesn't settle well in our world. And so you may ask along these lines, you mean we may actually lose something by following Jesus? You mean maybe the prosperity preachers weren't on the right track? Yeah, I'm saying that, but I'm saying more as well. So, no, I'm not just saying that you're going to lose something. I mean that you will lose everything if you follow Jesus including yourself. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Your whole self will be lost for Christ's sake. So yes, Jesus divides hearts, and perhaps even yours right now. He's dividing your heart. These are things just don't like it. And that's what we see here as well in these verses. We see hearts divided. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people over Jesus. Which is what's going to happen. What happens everywhere. And so they were all saying these different things about Jesus. So in view of these, let's let's answer kind of their, their wonderings one by one. So some wonder at his words, and they say, well, this really is the prophet. And so, is this really the prophet? Yes. <laughs> this is. He is. He is the new Moses. He is the one like Moses, that God, he has risen up. Deuteronomy 18, one like Moses. So, here is him who declares and reveals God in truth, just like Moses was, Right? He was, he was putting before them the Mosaic Covenant, putting before them the Ten Commandments, revealing them who God is and tabernacle and everything else. Here is the new Moses, revealing God in truth. And now others wander on still at his words, and they say, well, this is the Christ. So let's ask, is, is this the Christ? Yes, it is. Now, this may sound confusing to our ears. Why did they just say the same thing twice? Prophet Christ. Like, that's the same thing, right? No. So, they're not simply restating what they had just said. They thought the prophet and the Christ, they, would, they were going to be two different people even. Maybe this would work out in a multitude of ways, how the Old Testament would come together. And they had not considered that the one person who would come, would come and he would meet all of these in one. 
Yet that is exactly what Jesus does. Christ anointed one. And that is who Jesus is. He is the king who would come, who would not falter or fail, as one after another did again and again. The kings of Israel and Judah. Failure, failure, failure everywhere. But here is the one who will not fail or falter. So yes. And so others still wonder and they say, but he's from Galilee and the scriptures say that Christ will be an offspring of David and from Bethlehem. So is this the one? Is this him? Yes, it is. He fulfills the scriptures. He fulfills all of these things. Jesus lived in Galilee, but he was not born there. He is a descendant of David, born in Bethlehem. So the answers to their wonderings are yes, yes, yes. And so this leaves us then with this conclusion. That though people all around us may be divided over Jesus, may you not be. He is the one. We're not waiting for another. We're waiting for his return, yes. We're not waiting for another. It is yes in him. So may you not be. As the world would be. Divided over Jesus. So you want to know where the unity in the body of Christ is found? In the midst of a pandemic? Well, it comes when the body has its eyes, has its ears, has it all centered with one mind upon who? Upon Christ. That's where unity comes. So where are your eyes? Are they on the masks we have to wear? Are they on this pandemic? Are they on you Are they on the candidate or that one, this one, or that one? So it's church. As others divide over all variety of things. Set your eyes on Christ. Let's keep looking to and keep doing what we've been called to do and preaching Christ. So yes, people will divide over Jesus in all variety of things. But we above all have reason to unite at any time, anywhere, whatever's going on politically, whatever's going on in the world, whatever sicknesses are coming, whatever earthquakes may be happening, we have reason to unite ever still. That's how anyone, anywhere unites in Jesus Christ. How you can have All people from all over the world in one place and they're all united because of who? Because of Jesus. And it's the same way when we come to all these things that are pressing before us. It hasn't changed. Christ is our unity. It is in Christ by His Spirit that we remain united as division increases. It's not I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. 
It's may we all take up our crosses, deny ourselves, and together follow Christ. And how then and they will see, the world will see, and know us by our love for one another. They will see, and we will see, how the gospel will go out, and how nations will be shaken, as they have been in the past, and sinners will repent and believe the gospel. We're not forsaking the source. We're clinging to Him. Even as we differ on all variety of all these issues, we are united and are called to be united in Jesus Christ. So as people wonder and question, keep looking to Him and keep preaching Christ. They will wonder and they will question and they will divide over Jesus. But oh church, Keep looking to him and keep preaching Christ and let this gospel go out in the world. Now here then, as we go in to the next verses here, there's also kind of another transition from now the people and we basically go right in the middle and land right in the midst of the Sanhedrin, in verses 45 through 52. So, it is in the midst of this group of 71 members, you know, made up of priests and, and elders and Pharisees, that the officer that we, the officers that were sent before, we saw that a while back, so verse 32, last week, they're now returning. And they come to report what they have to report and the Pharisees are not, and this Sanhedrin, they are not happy at what they hear. So in the midst of this exchange, among them all, we don't see here hearts that come and they, they receive Jesus' words and his drink, but we see here hearts that are deceived. So we see the deceived hearts specifically of the religious leaders who think that everyone else is wrong. (laughs) So the officers, they are coming in wonderment at Jesus' words. No one has spoken like this before. And then the Pharisees and religious leaders, they stamp over them, oh, deceived. They have no idea what they're talking about. And then the crowds, these common people, That's how they saw them, as these common, ignorant folk. They don't know anything. They don't know anything like we do, like the Pharisees do. And then, oh, wait, Nicodemus. We just announced they don't know the law. The crowds don't know the law, but Nicodemus does. And he kind of throws a wrench in the whole boat, and he speaks up. Well, why did he have to do that? So, yeah, him, sure, he knows the law and all, but this well-known teacher of Israel, which he was very well-known, He doesn't really fully see the teachings of Scripture either. So, at every turn, everyone else is wrong, and they're right. And here is where we see a deep irony. While the officers are in wonder at Jesus, and they don't bring him in, and while the crowds are divided, and while Nicodemus asks a rather simple question, The religious leaders stamp over all of them. They don't get it. They don't see. And this is the irony. 
while they say others don't see, they are the ones that don't see. Irony. Even the officers are starting to see something there. They're like, wow, what is, this guy has some things to say we've never heard before. And these guys, the religious leaders are like, no, 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 you're the deceived one. And it turns all on its head. And the Gospel of John saying, no, 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 no. It is actually the religious leaders who are the deceived ones. So they are sure that they see, they're sure that they know, and they are on sure footing, yet their blindness persists. They don't see, they don't hear Jesus, and they are deceived. So if you could see their spirituality, which I think might be a little scary for some of us, you could, someone could see your spirituality. Now, caveat, if you know Christ, righteousness is what you have from bottom to top, declared righteous before God. Let's just say we could see their spirituality here somehow on the outside. It would be dark, and it would be growing darker. And that is what sin does. It darkens our understanding. It blinds us. It makes us irrational. And deceives our hearts. Man, that sounds like today, doesn't it? (laughs) So instead, we are exhorted not to remain blind and deceived and lost. But let's listen to and let's hear his words. No one has ever spoken like this man. So hear his cry. Hear him right now in the midst of the division. Now, you may or may not know, churches all across our land are dividing because of these things. So we need to cling to Christ and not take that lightly in the midst of the division. We need to hear his word. We need to hear his merciful call that he's giving here. And so listen to him and hear him, even if it means you must be fools for Christ's sake. For preaching Christ and holding fast to his word. You may be labeled just what the religious leaders were labeling all these people here, deceiver. That's what you are. Christian, you're deceiving everybody. You're not, you're not speaking the truth. You're a liar. You may be labeled know-nothings. You have no idea what's really going on and, and politically and everything else. You, know, you have no idea what's going on in the world. You may be labeled don't see. You're blind. <laughs> Yet... Even then, may we continue to listen to our Lord in the midst of all these things. And ever may it ever be our proclamation and refrain, refrain, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. So come to Christ, so live for Christ. So preach Christ. So listen to Christ. If anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we come, Lord, before your word and we ask that every one of us would consider what source we're drawing from this morning. And Lord, I don't know everyone here and what they're going through, but I know that how every moment of our lives we will be And I have to go back to the source, cling to Christ, repent. And so I know of none of us here who would not need to cling all the more this morning to Jesus. Not one of us that doesn't have something in our lives where God is now presently working. And he's saying, no, 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 come you come and cling to my son. I love you. You're mine. And come and return to my son. And then there are those perhaps here who do not know Christ this morning. God is calling even now that they would come and drink any and all. If anyone thirsts, come and drink. He cries out to them. Believe, turn away from your sin and yourself. Turn away from your way, from the world's way, and turn to Christ. So we ask, Father, that you would do that. And those today, this morning, helping them to see what Jesus has done on their behalf. That we believe and repent and trust in Christ. Father, may you help us, Lord, as we sing in response. May you help all of us examine our hearts as we ought to do before your word. May we not leave without doing that. May you help us, Father. We look to you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.